0: Yes, hello, and Happy New Year. Welcome to the Derek Hunter Podcast for this January 1st, 2024. I am Dean Carianis, host of the History Author Show and a columnist at the New York Sun, a longtime Rush Limbaugh staffer, and this year is going to be my year. Now, I know I promised you I would talk in dulcet tones today, but who can't be excited about the new year? So you'll have to forgive my irrational exuberance find me on iHeartRadio. You can find the History Author Show on YouTube, and you can check out all of my interviews that I've done at HistoryAuthor.com. Find my writing at NYSun.com. That's at the New York Sun. You can find my columns there. I write as often as I can there, as often as they'll have me, and I always have something to say, something unique. That's always my goal. I don't like to say the same things everybody else is saying. There's enough people out there like that you can find me at History Dean on Twitter. And speaking of somebody who doesn't say the things everyone else says, Derek Hunter, the man whose show you signed up for and you were kind enough to welcome me in here to drive the car for him on these holiday days. You can do that, support his show at Derekhunter.locals.com and at Patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast. You'll be glad you did. You'll be glad that you played a role in supporting somebody who's giving you great content and unique insights. That is very rare today, let me tell you. And I'll often find Derek will be the only other person who has thought of an angle that I have thought of when I'm writing one of my columns. It's important to me that every time somebody spends some time reading one of my 700 word columns, they're getting something unique. I am not just out to capture their click, I'm not interested in. Owning the libs, as I think Derek says sometimes people are obsessed with. That's not exciting to me, not interesting. I think Derek and I are going to have a whole conversation. I, I asked him about doing a show just on that idea of persuasion and not just preaching to the choir. And I've made a bunch of notes about that. So you can look forward to that with Derek and I in the future, because I've heard him say it so many times on his podcast, on this podcast, found myself nodding along. At some point, I can tell he's a little tired of hearing himself say it look for new ways to say it and I thought maybe speaking with somebody who can speak to how Rush did this job and how he very much agreed with what Derek was saying maybe that will help it'll be a better listening experience for all of you so we hope to put that together here in this new year Derek will be back tomorrow He will have that big announcement of his a huge announcement This is really going to change everything. Once in a great while, we are privileged to experience an event so extraordinary it becomes part of our shared heritage. 1969, man walks on the moon. 1971, man walks on the moon again. Then for a long time, nothing happened. Until tonight. Yes, my friends, Derek Hunter, the equivalent of him stepping onto the moon in search of brunch in a tube. I am here this New Year's Day to bring you something different as well, while other hosts who don't care anywhere near as much as Derek didn't bother to set up a guest host who was going to bring the passion during these days between Christmas and New Year. They just blew you all off. But Derek does not do that. Derek is not one of these hosts who's just sleeping off hangovers in a ditch. When he has a job to do, he puts on his boots and does that job I put on my boots as well, and it hit me that the sun is rising on a new year this morning. And I wanted to invite the publisher of The New York Sun on, Davida Foon, not because I'm a contributor there, not just because I have an interest in seeing the sun grow. I hope that I sound sincere when I say to you that I believe in their vision. I believe in the importance of good journalism. I believe that people need to be informed, not preached to. I'm really looking forward to that show, talking with Derek about just how much of the media has become preaching to that choir. You know, there was someone who emailed me earlier in the week and said, you do a great job for Derek and you don't throw out red meat. And I thought that that was a great thing to say. I really took that to heart from that man on Twitter because that's exactly what I try to do. I'm not just there to make you angry, to feed your anger, to tell you you're right to read you the latest poll to fill airtime in between reads for my pillow or Velveeta. I don't want to pick on Mike Lindell again, but <laughs> back when I started at Fox, the only sponsor we could get was Velveeta, and we got so sick of seeing that processed cheese being dripped down on things on our little monitors there on our desk, real tube TVs, by the way. Tells you how long ago that was at Fox News Channel. So we're gonna have David Foon on, not because of my personal interest, but. Because the Mission at the Sun, I started becoming interested in it and following and reading there before I ever thought about writing for them. I was one of those people back when it was a print edition on newsstands in about 2000 that was picking it up because it was a unique perspective. And when you're somebody who doesn't agree with the prevailing narrative in the media – You really are happy when you find a place that's going to provoke you to think, that's going to give you information and insights and history and callbacks to things that politicians may have said before that you will not read anywhere else. I have a quote here from Davida Foon. If the press is corrupted, there is no one to hold our wayward politicians and major institutions to account. That is a really important role. That's why journalism, the press, is constitutionally protected. This is something that Rush said often. He said they're protected in the Constitution. We need that function to be done and done well because it's essential to democracy. We need free speech. We need people who aren't just chasing an agenda. And I could go on and on about how important it is to me to be able to do that because I saw Rush do it so well all those years. I know the lines that he drew. I know he was never just saying things to be outrageous. I heard somebody call a talk radio show the other day and mention Rush, somebody favorable, and they said Rush was always controversial. And he had met him at a great story about Rush. Rush gave him a $100 tip, whipped out a $100 bill, made the guy take it. And my main takeaway was Rush was never controversial because this is something Rush always said. He said, I'm not controversial. What's controversial? And people would come at him early in his career, journalists. He said, everyone who listens to me agrees with me. I look in the New York Sun style book when I started to work there, they gave me this thick tome. And guess what? The word controversial is banned in there. Little things like that, little choices of words that don't skew things, that try to (coughs) roll the ball right down the middle. That's what they try to do with the New York Sun. And so I hope that I've come across sincere that I want you to hear from the man behind the New York Sun, David Foon, one of the people who is trying to not just complain, create something that brings us back, that accomplishes this important, vital mission for America. It's a mission I am proud to play a small part in, but rather than hear me say it, let's go to the publisher of The New York Sun and hear why he has taken on this mission that seems like it could be pretty thankless, and also why we need you, would like you, hope to tempt you to join that mission with us, not just curse the darkness in journalism, but to light a candle, a candle as bright as the sun. Here comes the sun. Doo-doo-doo. Here comes the sun. It's alright. Here we are with David Afoon, the publisher of the New York Sun. Welcome, David, to the Derek Hunter podcast. And I want to thank you for joining me. The sun rising on a new year. Thank you for being a sunshiny guy. Look at that smile. Already, it's sunnier this new year.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Dan. It's a pleasure to be here. I know that. The birthday of the New York Sun is September 3rd. January 1st doesn't have quite the same significance, but um, obviously we're happy to fall in line with the rest of the world and mark this occasion as a milestone in the sun's life as well.
0: Well, the thing about the sun, you mentioned the birth date. It is incredible to think we could say to everybody out there that we were here before you were born. 1833 not personally we weren't personally here but that it goes back so far it has that legacy i already loved going through those newspaper archives of the sun and looking back since i have you here now and i speak so much about how much i love the work the new york sun does and not just because you're all kind enough to welcome me in there But it's an incredible job and it's an incredible role because the name itself, the job of journalist, has become looked down upon that people don't like, that people don't have faith in. So you, with this optimism, what makes you decide, I'm going to not just sit at home and complain, I'm just not going to sit on Twitter and complain about the state of journalism, but I'm going to try to do something about it here. I'm going to bring back this great old legacy paper and make journalism something people can trust again. What makes you do that? Well, you
1: know, it probably sounds funny for somebody with a British accent to say that's the American way. I am an American citizen now, but, you know, obviously the idea of America extends far beyond the borders of this great country. And, you know, one of the the fundamental principles is that we, you individuals, can be the change that you wish to see in the world, to paraphrase Gandhi. But that was an idea that, sort of started before him, obviously in Europe and British society. And I guess you can refer to sort of Western culture as a whole nowadays. But in Europe and British society, there's a sort of historically a caste-based system and a social hierarchy-based system. And what's beautiful about the United States, so sort of one of the key principles of what makes the United States unique, is this idea that anybody can do anything. It's all about setting your mind to it and really making it happen. And there are a lot of things that are wrong with this country, but certainly the free markets and the entrepreneurial spirit are among the things that are still very much alive and well in this country. And the idea that, you know, if American journalism is broken, we should be figuring out how to fix it. You know, we can always complain. You can stand in a soapbox with a megaphone and scream and shout, or I guess today's equivalent to that is uh, posting a screed on your social media platform, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. But you can also do something about it, have a go at building something better. Or if that's not your thing or you're busy with something else, you can also uh, participate in that effort and that movement. And we've been very encouraged to see just how many folks have really joined our movement to save American journalism, particularly over the course of the past year.
0: Yes, I'm going to get to some of those stats about the last year and, and the success that the New York Sun has had. I can only tell people my unique perspective and then shy away from it a little. So I'm glad that you joined me today, because for me, I worked for somebody in Rush Limbaugh that didn't have to answer to anybody, really, that just said what he thought. He wasn't looking to be friends with people that he was covering. He avoided Washington, D.C. And for me, it gave me great freedom as a member of the staff. And I didn't think until he passed away what life would be like afterwards. Where do you find another job where you could feel... free like you're contributing to the national conversation and then the sun comes along and I have journalist friends of mine one in particular read one of my columns and he says I think it was on a debate that I did and I thought that Bill de Blasio our former mayor in New York came out on top and he really crushed this guy who happened to be a conservative from the Manhattan Institute and I talked about some of the statistics and some of the things that I thought were missed opportunities and my friend said wow, The Sun really seems to let you write what you want to write. And I was a little taken aback and I thought, I never thought of doing it another way. In fact, that's why when The Sun offered me a position, offered me to start being a contributor, I jumped at the chance because I wouldn't want to go write for one of these many places out there that it's just a hatchet job every day. I feel as if how do you go and speak to somebody who is a Democrat that's a friend of yours? We all have these people in our lives that are from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different religions. And the sun is a place where, as you said, when we talked on Derek Hunter's radio show, you may not agree with everyone there, but we all can learn to trust. We all trust people, even if we don't agree with them. We don't ask someone Hey, I'm stuck. I have a flat tire. I need you to come get me. But who did you vote for in the last election? No, you call your friend, you call your family. You don't care about those things, but you want to be honest and come from a place of honesty. So I wanted you to explain that. Explain why I, as somebody who I guess is pretty jaded about this, have been in this business a long time, love the sun and why. You reach somebody like me who probably honestly wouldn't wouldn't have ever paid for another kind of newspaper. People in the press tend to want to get freebies, but I would encourage people to pay for this. Yeah. So, what what do you what do you think? How did how did you manage to make that happen? Yeah. Melt this heart of mine.
1: Yeah, well, I think first of all, it's not everybody that is granted free reign. I think you've certainly earned the trust of our editors, and in particular our phenomenal and brilliant editor in chief, Mr. Seth Lipsky. That doesn't happen automatically, so know that that's a testament to your unique and valuable contributions and how how they're viewed uh, by the rest of the team here at The Sun as well. But look, I would say it starts with this. We know, and this is not a secret, that American journalism is facing a crisis, a massive crisis. You can refer to it as a crisis in trust, where every time polls are taken, studies are done, the numbers fall out the bottom again. I mean, the last Gallup poll I saw said that only 16, 1,6% of Americans trust newspapers. 54% of Americans, according to an Edelman poll, believe that journalists are deliberately trying to mislead them. There was another poll that was conducted by a major institution of higher learning of 90,000 people in 45 different countries polling basically the level of trust in America ranked the lowest out of all four, 45 different different countries for trust in the press, trust in the media. And, you know, for a democracy, especially a vibrant democracy, this is really an existential crisis because the free press and the function of journalism and the press in a democracy is really completely fundamental. I mean, you might refer to it as sort of the backstop of democracy it's the organ that is there to catch us when all else fails, when government fails, when bureaucracy fails, when major institutions, academic institutions, when even business and corporations lose track of their purpose and start to act politically and to sort of impose their views on a wide swath of of the public. It's the press that is supposed to be there to catch us where we fall, where, where all else fails. In fact, one of the previous owners and editors of The Sun, I refer to him as the second most famous New York Sun editor, the first being Seth Lipsky, but the second most famous, Charles Anderson Daner. Didn't write a lot that he put his name on, but in the late 1800s, he gave a couple of speeches Mm -hmm. that were compiled into a book that was published under the title The Art of Newspaper Making*. And in that book, he talks a little bit about why the press in America is so much better than the press in Europe at the time. And what he says is that whenever you have an environment of despotism, the press has its wings clipped and it's not as vibrant and robust. And he refers to, he says, that can apply to both political despotism and social despotism, right? It's very unusual when you read it. What does social despotism mean? I mean, we all know what political despotism is. You know, there are a lot of countries around the world that are run by despots. But what is social despotism? And if you think about it a little bit, you begin to sort of get a sense of what we really we're dealing with today. I mean, there's this big debate about, for example, how do you define wokeism? Well, I would define wokeism as a form of social despotism, where you have sort of a laterally imposed orthodoxy that curtails the freedoms of the citizens. Sometimes it's on a social basis, but that, you know, it spreads to Major institutions, academic institutions, corporations, bureaucracies, etc. So the free press, the constitution and American society has built in incredible protections against political despotism. Basically, most of the constitution, the separation of powers, and the whole system whereby American democracy is structured, is to protect against a governance that would come close to the despotism that obviously the founders and the framers saw in Europe that was taking hold of Europe and part of what led them into another country. I know this is a big long discourse over here. But basically the only protection that we as a society have against social despotism is the press. And the reason why you have forms of social despotism and that you know the first amendment that have really taken hold in this country and become a source of incredible frustration to so many Americans is because the press is failing. The press has become corrupted. Instead of serving as a vehicle to hold, to police the powers that be on behalf of the people, a lot of the press serves or sees its role as policing the people on behalf of the powers that it favors. Not only is it not fulfilling the function that it's supposed to fulfill, it's it's actually serving the opposite function. So in that sense, we see the movement to our movement, our initiative, our effort, our movement to save American journalism, to restore American journalism as really being an effort, a movement to save American democracy, restore American democracy to its fundamental values and principles. And in order for the press to be effective, it needs to earn the trust of the people. And we can talk more about what we view as the building blocks of trust and why we think see the sun as a very unique vehicle in that regard. But we see that sort of just a big picture context of how we view what we're doing here at the sun and what the opportunity is and the way that we hope that our fellow citizens will view what we're doing at the sun. And also, obviously, when inevitably they are approached about joining and participating, which we're pretty forthright about that, that's the lens through which they'll view the question of whether this is something they should be a part of
0: you mentioned a few things there one thing is it's been an honor and a pleasure to learn from Seth Lipsky who I was familiar with before from his work but the theme of the style book is something I come at and I even mentioned it sometimes online because for instance the word woke that you used and we banned it in the style book and I kind of felt like I took some credit for that because the B. John C. Bain wrote a great piece about the origins of it and the Black Liberation Theology. And to me, it had become for left and right just this shorthand where people don't really define it. Little things like that, little things like not using the word progressive, which is one Seth put in there because that's not descriptive or the word controversial. These are all words People out there may not realize you are just being thrown at you to get you to click. We actually have headlines in the New York Sun. That's another thing. I look at some of these stories and they're just, you won't believe what so-and-so said. People are familiar with the clickbait. Sports is often like that. Somebody is injured on this team or that team. And that's because clicking is part of this business. Certainly a lot of people don't have a paywall. They need They want to raise revenue. But to me, I like that the sun isn't assigning things. I guess that's what I meant before about having the freedom to write. Nobody's telling me, hey, don't pick on Donald Trump. Hey, go really hard after Joe Biden. And there's a lot of that that goes out there in the press. And when you see this recent Syracuse University Newhouse School of Public Communication study, just 3.4% of American journalists are Republicans. Now, I think I just forgot to click that box, but I maintained independence. I I was an independent when I first registered to vote, probably probably for that reason, where I just always had an independent streak in me, probably the Greek background. But that's something the Sun is looking to inform you. It's not looking to subtly tease you. I read sometimes articles and I say, this is really slanted so carefully. I wish they would put that much effort, their talents of writing into the journalism as they do into the trying to control the people, what you talked about, the social despotism. That's really valuable. And I think people, I know I was when I first went to the Sun, are surprised that there's a place that does that. And then they realize what they've been missing.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think when we think about what it takes to build a successful newspaper, not just economically, but a paper that's really, you know, the key word that we always think about is the word trust. A successful newspaper is a newspaper that is trusted by readers. They may agree, they may disagree, they may find something interesting, may find something boring. But it's a publication that has earned the trust of not just its own readers, but also the wider public, even those that may encounter it more sporadically. So the big question for us has been from the beginning, what are the key building blocks of trust between a publisher and the role that we serve, where we're sitting every day in a position of relative power, where we're sort of viewing the issues of the day and deciding where to focus and what to prioritize and where to shine a spotlight and what are the issues that we believe Americans need to be aware of on, on any given day. The question is sort of what are the building blocks of trust is always front of mind. And for a lot of people, I mean, historically, the idea has been that trust, conventional view certainly, is that trust is always a product of politics. You trust papers that you agree with and you don't trust papers that you disagree with. And that's why you have this incredible polarization in the media landscape in general. If you delve a little bit deeper, there have always been papers that have a strong perspective or even plant themselves on one or the other side of a political aisle. I mean, going back hundreds of years, you had Democrat papers, you had Republican newspapers. And if you break down some of the numbers in the trust polls, you see that it's true. 95% of Republicans don't trust the press and 88% of independents, according to the most recent Gallup poll, but it's also 65% of Democrats. So, you know, very much across the aisle that you have this distrust. So for us, the building blocks are quite simple. You know, the sun is a perspective. We are a proudly American paper, a constitutionalist paper, a paper that lives and breathes and fights for American values. And we can go into some detail into what that means. But the key component to trust, like trust between individuals, is not politics. You have friends, everybody has friends, relatives who... They might disagree with, but they still trust. You know, trust is a product of more than anything, integrity, consistency, honesty. So what that means is if you are a newspaper that ostensibly has problems with corruption or the perception of corruption in American politics. And you ran a dozen articles about the Trump family and their ties to China or Qatar or Russia or whether they were going to do a building project there or the Kushners or this or that. But then the second there's a discussion about Hunter Biden's business dealings, you want to pretend the story doesn't exist and it's Russian misinformation. So even the folks on your own side politically are going to lose trust because it's so transparent. There's no integrity. There's no honesty. There's no consistency. And by the way, it's it's on both sides. I mean, you know, you have papers, for example, that conservative papers that would like to see less government spending and are worried about the ballooning debt. But, you know, when it's Republicans that are doing it, when it's they don't really have that much to say, you know, they're focused on sort of what's going to help them get elected as opposed to, you know, what are your values and principles regardless of what the political outcome is? And I think that's the key with The Sun. The Sun is a paper that has very strong values and principles and assesses the issues on a day-to-day basis on the merits, on the values-based merits. It's a paper that places always principles over politics and people over party. It's always looking for the best interests of the American public and making sure that we can address the most important issues facing the American people on any given day. Issues that are really going to make a difference in their lives and in the future of our country and ensuring that what has made our country a unique, unique as a historical uh, political experiment in the annals of history, remains so for many many generations to come
0: so much there that i'm nodding my head along with particularly the spending side and it's something i wrote about in the sun the two parties like to trade back and forth and <laughs> when one party's out of power they say oh we need to get that deficit under control and then when they're in power they hand that act off to the other side and in the meantime right. it's us that are paying the bill it's the american people it's things like well, inflation
1: integrity trust is one word integrity
0: and a paper needs to have
1: integrity above everything else.
0: Yeah. One thing I wanted to ask you about, I would remiss if I didn't, I was reading some of the coverage in the New York Sun and also at the Alga and I would encourage people to go and check out the Alga Miner too, that I've started getting their emails and there's reporting you're not getting anywhere else. And some of the details, New York Times reported some of them the other day of the atrocities committed by Hamas are so repellent and As a newspaper man, as somebody who is following this so closely and feels obviously a deep tie to Israel, a deep spiritual tie. How do we cover that as journalists? Because I look at the other side. I look at people that are in Gaza cheering this. I look at even these ignorant college students that are cheering anti-Semitism and that are saying these things didn't happen. We, We know those numbers about students that now side with Osama bin Laden incredibly and favor him and think he was a force for good was what they pulled on. And we know that many of them deny the Holocaust. They've been so poorly educated. And the sun has a role in that in changing that and educating people and showing people the truth. But I wonder how a newspaper chooses to cover those things because the very people we need to reach are civilized people who by nature get sick when they read these things But also, it's so important to reach them and say, don't turn away. This is not just another war. This is not just, oh, we're tired of the Middle East and they're both fighting. And it's easy to throw up your hands and say they're both sides are wrong. How do you cover that? How do you get people to pay attention and not turn away from these atrocities? Because the Jewish people are such a small population, you need everybody who is a person of goodwill to understand what's going on there, but you don't want to repel them with these worse than medieval yeah. details of what of what has been done by Hamas. Look, I think
1: you always, when any publication is dealing with sensitive issues, you do want to give your readers something of a heads up. You can have a, a warning at the start of the piece that there's explicit material. You want people to have the opportunity to choose whether they expose themselves to that and it's a choice that people make everybody has a different consistency in terms of their ability to sort of stomach or process some of the more traumatic details that sadly are just a fact of life in this troubled world that we live in so you know it's certainly be important to be sensitive to readers and let them make their own choice but at the same time it's very important i think for a newspaper to have a very sound moral compass and to have a good sense of what's right and what's wrong. There's a tendency today to say, well, again, trust is a product of both sides and not taking a position and not having a stance. But again, I don't think that is what the, the key ingredient to trust is. Key ingredient, again, is having integrity, which means being honest, being consistent. But newspapers need to take a stand to take sides. Certainly, in their editorial positions and and in terms of you know, what they focus on over what is right. And we are newspapers are very important beacons of moral clarity in a world where there's a lot of moral confusion. And sometimes it's very difficult. You know, certainly in the Middle East, I remember one of the most important decision makers now in the Israeli government He's is a former ambassador to the United States, Ron Dermott. Now he's a minister of strategic affairs. He was actually in Washington this week. He once told me that the Israeli government or the prime minister never has a good option and a bad option. They're just sort of peddling in shades of gray. And that's real life. And that's morality. The Talmud has, or the Midrash has a, has a great statement from the ancient sages of Israel that says, he who is merciful to the cruel will end up being cruel to the merciful. And this is not new in the entirety of the justice system in America and in Europe. You need to hold people accountable if you're going to allow the innocent sins to live. And sometimes that's a very difficult process. And sometimes in the case of war, there are innocents that will sadly, tragically get caught in the crosshairs. But it's still important to maintain a sense of moral clarity through all of that and know who's right and who's wrong. And. What are the best way to deal with these things? And I know that the Israeli government goes to extraordinary lengths um, to try and protect innocent bystanders. But having said that, they're faced with a very difficult scenario where, you know, on the one hand, you know, they need to get rid of Hamas for themselves to protect their civilians, their children, their innocence. but also, frankly, for Gaza. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I was actually there in Gaza in 2005 when Israel pulled out. And I remember what people were saying at the time. And since Israel's pulled out, there have been five different wars that Hamas has started. The people today are saying, ceasefire, ceasefire. Okay, well, let's say Israel does stop this campaign against Hamas. What happens next when Hamas starts the next one, the next one, the next war? So at the end of the day, in the long run, it's going to be a gift to the Palestinians as well and the many innocent children in Gaza if Hamas is done away with. But it's a tragic and very, very difficult environment to cover with a tremendous amount of pain on both sides. But despite that, it's important for us not to lose sight of what's right and what's wrong, as difficult as it is, and what needs to be done.
0: Well, David Afoon, I would love to talk with you again. I enjoy speaking with you, certainly in person and also here. Thank you so much. I hope it's another great year I can contribute to the New York Sun, not just because I'm involved, but because I really believe in that mission. I hope people will go check it out. David, publisher of the New York Sun. Happy New Year, and I hope you have a great 2024, personally and professionally. You as well, Dean. Thank you so much. Thank you. I could talk to David all day. He is one of those people with so many insights, so much experience, but I just wanted to grab him quickly on New Year's Day and discuss this because all of you deserve to have somebody come to you. The audience is what matters. We are at your service. And I just thought putting something out on New Year's Day shows, how much you all mean to us. I know, I know everything streams now and you probably didn't listen to all of my previous shows on the Derek Hunter podcast, although you should. Go back and get those, check those out, boost up those numbers so that Derek can see we did our job, and that'll be a favor to me. I would certainly appreciate that. If you'd listen, in 2023, The Sun doubled the reporting staff, tripled readership, quadrupled social media following, and the membership there grew fivefold. That's a lot of really good growth. I'm so glad to see that. With the cynical age, you may not believe me, but I am just happy somebody is playing a role and trying to push back. I guess it's a little bit like working for Rush. I listened to Rush, I watched him on the TV show. I never thought I might be able to play a role and work for him all those years, but I was blessed to earn that opportunity with him and to be hired onto the staff first of the TV show, then onto the staff of the radio show and the website. So the Sun's very similar. Liked them before I was ever a part of them. If you notice you're reading the same takes, same words, same condescending reporting and opinion everywhere, please do check out what we're doing at nysun.com. Together, we can save journalism. Well, that's it for New Year's Day. I am sure all of you have brunches to go to. (gasps) Wait a minute. Brunch. I forgot. Derek is anti-brunch. The B word. He's a brunch hater. Have you heard his riffs on brunch? Here he has a lovely wife wants nothing more than occasionally be taken out for the meal between lunch and breakfast. And Derek declares he does not like brunch. As ah, so, it's a few extra bucks. Wait a minute, there's another Simpsons drop for this. Meet me tomorrow for brunch. What's brunch? You'd love it. It's not quite breakfast. It's not quite lunch, but it comes with a slice of cantaloupe at the end. You don't get completely what you would at breakfast, but you get a good meal. I don't think so. Ah, yes. Albert Brooks there as Jacques, the bowling teacher. Hey, I just made a bowling reference, and there you go. Now we've brought it full circle. You have Marge's bowling teacher, Jacques, who attempts to seduce her using what? Brunch. You can't seduce somebody with breakfast. You can't seduce somebody with lunch. But brunch... Maybe we will convince Derek to come over. Come on, it's magic, It's a little different. It's not quite breakfast, not quite lunch. You just heard it. It is a sexy meal. And you get to drink at 10 in the morning. You'd think he would be all for that. I, I don't know. It's perplexing. Derek is like an onion. Even when you know him and are friends with him as I am, there's always a new layer under there to be peeled away, just like the mighty cantaloupe. Now, yeah, I know. Cantaloupes don't have layers. But Derek doesn't go to brunch, so he won't know what cantaloupes are. It's literally the only place you ever see cancel up is at brunch. At least that's the starring role. Well, I hope you have a great 2024. I will encourage you, give you a shot in the arm, go and enjoy yourself. Enjoy the first day of this year. Don't worry about those resolutions. Make a little bit of progress every day towards whatever your goals are. Please do check me out at historyauthor.com. Read my columns at nysun.com. And you can find me at HistoryDean on Twitter. I'm all across various social medias. Because I want to be, but because I want to connect with great people like you, you can also support this show if you so choose. And why wouldn't you? At DerekHunter.Locals.com and patreon.com/slash/derekhunterpodcast. Thank you all so sincerely for taking those earbuds this week, putting me in your ear, and spending some of your life with me. Your time is valuable. This new year, guess what? All those years that came before years you're not going to get back i really appreciate when somebody spends the time to read what i write or listen to what i say i will not let you down in either forum and look forward to speaking with you again sometime soon until then look to the sun and you will find me there happy new year everybody happy new year everybody can't get any worse (laughs) Ha, <laughs>